0: So, so let's, uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to read verse 7, and then we're going to skip to verses 17 through 19, and then skip again to verses 22 through 25. Uh, We're not skipping verses, we've covered them, the ones that we've already skipped, right? So we're just, we're taking now the rest that we haven't covered, so we're going to cover as much as we can the whole counsel of God's Word. So hear the Word of the Lord and just follow with me as we go. So here we go. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. That's pretty good. Father, again, we ask for your help as we read your word, as we uh, hear these last few words of uh, the book of Hebrews and, and the exhortation that this author has given to us. Very briefly, he says, we pray. Father, that we would continue to meditate upon the, the glorious truths of the gospel that have been found in this book. We pray that you would continue to give us a, a greater vision of who Christ is and, and how he reigns as head of this church. We pray that uh, you would give us um, more of your spirit to receive the word of God and to, to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen young woman was very excited to go to college, the college of her choice, but while filling out the application, her heart sank immediately when she read the question that asked simply, are you a leader? And uh, not seeing herself as a leader at all, being both conscientious and honest, she said on the paper, no, I am not, period. And submitted her answer along with the rest of application, expecting the worst. Uh, But in reply, uh, in surprise, she received this letter from the college that read simply, Dear Miss, a study of all the application forms submitted thus far reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. Nevertheless, We are accepting your application because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) She got in for being honest. You know, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the the night before He died on the cross, the, the night He got down on His knees and washed the feet of His disciples, the same night in which He celebrated with them, instituted the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper of Christ. If you remember, as he was doing these things, they were still bickering about which was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Go look it up. They had already done this a couple of times earlier in the Gospels, but that night, they're still arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they weren't pointing to Christ. They're saying, it's me. Talk about misunderstanding the gospel entirely. They didn't get it. And yet, these 12 men, the most insensitive blockheads ever, the Lord called to be the leaders of His church. That should tell you something. Nevertheless, he he did continue to challenge their understanding of what it means to be a leader. In fact, in that same chapter, Luke 22, Jesus says to them as they're bickering about these things He says, The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over their subjects, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, he asked, the one who reclines at the table? Or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Of course, they didn't really get that when he was telling them that. (laughs) Uh, They didn't understand that fully at all until after he had died for them, had sacrificed his own life for them, had served them in a thousand ways, after he had risen from the dead, after he had ascended up into heaven, after He had sent the Holy Spirit to them with gifts and graces of many kinds. Finally, they get this concept as the Spirit of Christ fills them with power and wisdom and love that they didn't really understand before. Uh, According to Ephesians chapter 4, when Christ ascended up into heaven, that was a very pivotal moment in the history of redemption because... Uh, not only did He lead a whole host of captives free from the tyranny of Satan, He also gave to them all the graces and the gifts of Christ in their varied forms and distributed them freely throughout the church. And in addition to giving gifts to each person and filling each person with the Spirit of Christ, uh, He also gave particular officers to the church to equip the church for the work of ministry. Again, Moses' desire was that all God's people would be full of the Spirit and be able to minister in these ways. And now the Spirit has come, and they're able to do that, and God has particularly raised up officers to equip the people to do that work, to build up the body of Christ until everyone reaches maturity. Which, basically, maturity means looking like Christ. That's the goal. Now, originally he gave the church apostles and prophets, and then later on we see through the history, the progressive revelation, he's also giving the church pastors and teachers and even deacons. He's giving all of these offices for the advancement of the gospel of Christ and for the building up of the body. Of Christ. It's interesting though that uh, as David had already alluded to earlier in reading Numbers chapter 11 that both offices of the elder and deacon come about as a result of people complaining. If you think about it, Numbers chapter 11, the role of the elder that we have in the New Testament is based upon this Old Testament chapter of Numbers 11 because Moses could not handle the complaints of hundreds of thousands of people. And so he raises up 70 elders, anoints them with the Holy Spirit to help feed them, both spiritually as as, as well as physically, right? But it's interesting, in the New Testament, it's the same way. In Acts chapter 6, the office of the deacon comes about as a result of the people complaining again about food. This time it's the Hellenizers complaining that the Hebrews were overlooking their widows in the distribution of food. So it made me wonder, is this the reason why we have so many potlucks at church? (laughs) Because we're sick of the complaining. But if you think about it, every officer that you have in the church today was raised up because people were complaining about food. And yet, uh, give us this day our daily bread, is still pretty low on the hierarchy of prayers and the Lord's Prayer, but that's still the main thing that we want. But yet the Apostle says it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the Word and prayer for the sake of constantly ministering to the needs, of the people, and their complaints about who's getting what and who's not. So in, in both cases... The elder and the deacon were raised up in the church not to lord it over the people, but basically to assist in the work of the ministry and serving the people, but yet also equipping them to serve, to use the gifts that God has given them. The church needs leaders to mobilize the people for works of service. And because Christ loves the church, He loves it. Loves it so much that he laid down his life for the church. That's what the Scripture teaches. Not just that he laid down his life for some random people. He laid down his life for his church. Because of that, he also loves his officers. He loves his elders. He loves his deacons. Because they are the chief under shepherds and the chief servants in the church raised up to mobilize the people to advance the gospel of Christ, both within and without the walls of the building. Well, just as individual Christians cannot grow in maturity apart from the church, let me say that again because you probably just missed it. Just as individual Christians cannot grow apart from the church, they will never grow in a full understanding of the love of Christ apart from their leaders. The leaders are essential in demonstrating something of the presence and the power of Christ within the presence of the church. They bring something of order and vision to the church. They bring exhortation and encouragement to the church. In addition, they present to the church the very image of Christ in a more powerful way than even the average church member does which if you think about it, that's why they're called to such a high calling in terms of character. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But basically, God has given officers in the church in order that the church might be built up and the, the surrounding community might see something of the love of Christ here. And that happens through the congregation responding to and following the lead of the leaders of the church. So in our text this morning, the author of Hebrews gives um, four commands. Let's just say four. There's a number of others that you could sort of draw out of this. But here are the four that I want to focus on on this morning. Uh, Similar ones I've given in other sermons before as well, but they they bear repeating. Uh, First, in regards to the leaders of the church here, is our duty. We're to imitate their faith, number one. Number two, to submit to their authority. Number three, to pray for their leadership. And number four, greet them with the warm grace of Jesus Christ. And I want to emphasize that toward the end. But let's start with number one. Imitate their faith. Verse 7. The text reads this way, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So he's first talking about the previous generation of elders and deacons who have already passed away. But now he's bringing that in with the new generation of elders and deacons that are coming on. Uh, But I remember when I first came here, I I made reference to this passage saying that uh, it's important for new pastors when they come to a church not to tell them all the bad things about your previous pastor. Because we're not stupid. We know that you will do the same thing behind our backs. We know it's true. And so I don't want to hear what the previous pastor did or didn't do or or, or what the previous ruling elders did or didn't do or what the previous deacons did or didn't do because... When a church is regularly criticizing and heaping up insults upon their leaders, they will never grow as a body. Ever. Either they have to go to another church and find some other group of men that they can follow, but they will never grow here. They will be stifled in their faith as long as they are here. It's important that you understand that concept. Uh, because it, it really does bring quite a bit of stagnation to a church when people don't respect their leaders. And it does happen. I've seen it many times. So the author of Hebrews commands the believers to remember their previous leaders in a positive light. Uh, to not dwell upon all their weaknesses, all their inadequacies, or their sins. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, he gives a good example of this. Uh, I mean, often I think we're frankly shocked at the list of people that are included in the heroes of faith chapter, right? We're we're thinking about all these people. As soon as you see Samson listed, you're like, really? Samson? Uh, I don't know about him. Uh, We think of Jacob and David and Moses and all these guys that more than likely you can recall some sin associated with their life, but the writer of Hebrews is just focusing on their faith. And he's saying, imitate that faith. Imitate that good faith that they demonstrated. Let that same faith be in you. He doesn't mention, for instance, uh, that one time that Noah got drunk. He doesn't mention the two times that Abraham said his wife was his sister. He doesn't mention how Moses murdered a man. You know, things of that nature. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying in any way that we are to uh, ignore egregious sins in the lives of our leaders. No, in fact, the scripture says the exact opposite. If someone really has committed uh, an egregious sin of that nature, you ought to confront them and that uh, if it's a serious sin, you ought to have two or three other people to come and confront them, that no leader should be slighted or slandered uh, without proper proof. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 say, not to even admit a charge against a leader of the church except on evidence of two or three witnesses, but if they are convicted and they haven't repented of that sin, he says, you were to bring it before the whole church so that the whole church would be full of fear at the example of what happens to a man who is a hypocrite. Says he's one thing and yet is living in a totally different manner altogether. The general rule considering the leadership of the church, though, is that we ought to hold a high regard for them. That we ought to esteem them in, in, in love. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, Paul says, We request of you, brothers, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And have charge over you and the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Again, he's talking about appreciation and, and esteem and love. Those are words that are used in reference to leaders of the church. If that hasn't been your experience in connection with leaders of churches in the past, let me challenge you to go back to Scripture see what see what he's saying it ought to be. Appreciation, esteem, and love, not insults and grudges and all those other things that often come along with those relationships. As we know, the world constantly, as we are being molded into its image, the world is constantly seeking to undermine any aspect of real authority in this world. To despise authority of every kind. The Scripture says when Christ has come into the presence of His church, there's something of paradise, a taste of it, is brought back into the congregation. Something of Christ's rule and reign is recognized even here in the gathering of believers. And part of that is recognizing Christ's authority in His own church knowing that Christ is the head of the church, and yet also raises up leaders in the church that are meant to reflect Him in some way, even in their weakness, sometimes even in their sin, in their repentance over their sin, how they represent a godly sanctification. If you look through the qualifications to serve as an elder or deacon in the church, you'll notice that when it comes to the deacon, there's not actually a job description ever mentioned doesn't actually say what he's required to do. The assumption is that he would be able to help in a lot of different ways, serve in a lot of different ways, but it never says he has to do this, right? Then in reference to the elder, it says one thing, and, and only one thing. It says that he ought to be apt to teach. But that's it. If you'll notice, when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, out of all the qualifications, and there are a lot of qualifications all of them have to do with who He is rather than what He does. Why is that? There's something about the leaders of the church that are meant to represent the very image of Christ to the congregation. That when the congregation sees these men, they, the people ought to be able to say, they look something like Christ. They look like they've been with Christ. And so I I, I challenge even the two men that are coming before us today, but all the elders and the deacons of the church, if there were one exhortation that I could give you more than, hey, just work on your teaching, brother, or work on your serving, brother. Spend time with Christ. The thing that this church needs more than anything else. The thing that this people needs more than anything else is to see examples of men who love Christ. And I encourage you, pray for us that we might know Him and love Him and delight in Him in that way. That when you look at us, you're like, hmm, I want to grow. I want to grow in my faith. There's something about they have something I don't have. If we don't, if we don't display pray for us that we would display it more. That we wouldn't stifle it. That you wouldn't hold grudges against us because we're not displaying enough of it. Pray for us that that would be the reality here in our midst. That we would be able to say, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the way it ought to be. I do think it is somewhat here, but it can always be more. Pray for us, we'll pray for each other in that regard. That this church would be known as a church that looks like Christ. That delights in Christ. Number two, submit to their authority. Verse 17, the Scripture reads this way, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I always have to give the clarification that doesn't mean you have to do whatever they say. You don't have to listen to tyrannical, crazy, weirdo people. They're saying you must do this, you must do that. Anything the Scripture says, and they're teaching you what the Scripture says, listen to what they say. There's only one time we ever can discipline anyone in this church, regardless of what sin they've committed, and that's basically what we call contumacy. It basically means you're just not willing to listen to what the Word of God says. You're just not listening with the word of exhortation. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says at the end of this epistle, Brothers, bear with my brief word of exhortation. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor or as an elder in the church, if there's one thing I could say to people that are in the midst of their sin, can you just listen? Just, just listen. Forget me for a moment, but just listen to what the Word of God is saying to you right now. There's hope for you in Christ Jesus, but you have to repent of your sin. You have to trust in Christ. There's change. It's available to you but you have to believe in christ and so when we are giving directions we're not talking about the things that we just disagree on and things of that nature but always be careful i mean if if there's nothing that we've said as elders or deacons in the church that is against scripture there will always be times where you don't like the direction that we're going in or you might Have a different understanding of how we should carry out this or that program just be careful how you treat your leaders in that regard Um, i mean think about it when Korah's rebellion against moses he just didn't like the way moses was doing or how he was saying and all of a sudden god opens the earth and swallows him whole i haven't seen that i'd be lying if i said that i wouldn't mind if i saw it once (laughs) But then you think of the example of you know Miriam and the same thing she just like, "Well, I can do it just as well as he can, and then God strikes her with leprosy. No, no, i 'm not, I'm not wishing that on anyone. but know that you know in the role that men take when they 're serving in these capacities that um, it 's not an easy job we 're not trying to be domineering lords we 're trying to serve, and uh, we, we hope that um, Sometimes that's appreciated. And I, I think most of us do realize that it is. But in verse 17, he gives three reasons why you should honor and obey your leaders in that way. And he says first that, that because they're keeping watch over your soul. And, and, and the word as it's used in the Greek uh, signifies uh, literally someone who stays awake on your behalf. So in other words, while everyone else is sort of sleeping, <laughs> uh, the shepherd is, is staying awake so that nothing harms Befalls you. Another, another example is in the ancient city walls, there would be uh, town watchmen, and their job was just to look for invaders and, and aliens as, as a threat to the city. Well, in the same way, a, a big part of the job of, of the leaders of the church is to, simply to protect the church, both physically, the deacons protect it physically, and then spiritually, the elders are always looking for threats. Praying against these things that can harm us, and there's so many ways in which the church is harmed. There's so I mean, on any given week, especially nowadays with the young people in our church. I don't know why, but the internet as much as, as, much as it has opened up just worlds of helps in terms of understanding certain things in scripture and, and um, having good speakers on there that can encourage you. There are so many false teachings online. And there are, I mean, just on any given week, you're hearing things that are just absolutely untrue that are from the pit of hell. And you have to be very, very careful what you're listening to and what you're reading and what you're involved in. Uh, but in the same way, the other dangerous situations that that happen, every one of us is tempted in different ways. And you, uh, we're always trying to, to be careful in, in watching over you, that we sense signs of people walking away from the Lord that we can talk to you sooner rather than later so that we don't have to go chase another stray sheep who walks away from God and walks away from the church. That's part of our job is to, to, to be watching over the church in that way as a safeguard, you see. So he says you, you ought to honor the leaders of the church who are trying to protect you. But in addition, uh, another reason he gives is because these leaders will have to give an account to the Lord for their charge over you. You know, on, on the day of judgment um, every church leader will be judged based upon how they have carried out their responsibilities in regards to the church. That, To me, that, that that's frightening. <laughs> uh, sobering, humbling to know that every single thing that we do as leaders is going to be held accountable. I was—I uh, think I shared with you when I first came here that uh, Jonathan Edwards is an 18th century New England Puritan in New England and uh, his church basically fired him uh, for trying to promote holiness in the church. For trying to protect the Lord's Supper. Basically on saying only believers ought to be taking this and not just any Joe Schmo kind of thing his uh, grandfather, whoever he was working with, some relative of his, I forget which relationship was, um, was the previous pastor and he just let anybody take it. And so he put a stop to that, and immediately you know, a good percentage of the church just turned against him and got rid of him, drove him out of the church. And uh, the funny thing is for about, uh, I wanna say almost a year, they were trying to find pulpit supply because they had fired him, right? And there are a number of occasions in which they couldn't find any much. So they asked him to come back to preach. And I thought I would never come back after that, you know. But he did, and he gave them very gracious but truth-telling sermons. But my favorite sermon by Jonathan Edwards was his farewell sermon. After they the very last Sunday he was there after they had fired him. And he basically said, On the judgment day, the Lord is going to hold me accountable for how I have pastored you how I have carried out the charge that Christ has given to me. And he, he went on and on and on. I mean, Puritans, they preach for hours. And they listened to that and they thought, yeah, that's right. You know. And then like for a brief, just a couple of minutes toward the end of the sermon, he said, and you also will be held accountable for how you treated me as a pastor. <laughs> he didn't have to say much. But he's basically saying you know, on the day of judgment you're going to be held accountable as well for how you disrespected your pastor and how you held grudges against him and hated him in your heart. And I can tell you there was fruit from that sermon because it was about ten years later the main instigator against him to get rid of him came under repentance and apologized for running him out of town. Ten years later. Um. There's a good reason why James says to us not many should be teachers or leaders in the church because we will will be judged more strictly on the day of judgment. Um, but but nevertheless, he says you ought to respect men who are willing to stand up and, and and serve in that capacity. A third reason he gives for submitting to leaders is that it will be no advantage to you if you don't submit to them. Um, verse 17, he says, let them do their work basically with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no Advantage to you. It just makes sense, you know. If you, if your leaders suspect that you despise them, is not going to motivate them a whole lot, probably. To, you know, really go out of their way to serve. Uh, It's human nature, I suppose. Um, but how do you bring joy to an elder in the church? I would say simply this come to church. That's a good start. Come to church. Come regularly. Come Sunday after Sunday. That we know that you're here. That we don't have to worry about where you're at, first of all, and go chasing you. Where's so-and-so again? I don't know. I'll go call. But that also you're you're seeking to get involved in the life of the church. That you're happy to be here. To be with the brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to share the joy that you have with the Lord. Uh, that's a great encouragement to us. In the same way, uh, how, do you, how do you bring joy to a deacon? By your willingness to serve in the life of the church, not thinking that the deacons are the only ones who do anything here. It's a common misconception in the church to think, well, the deacon, that's the deacon's job. He's got to do that. The deacon's job is to motivate you to come alongside, to work with us, to do the ministry of the church. It's never meant to be, well, the, the deacons are the slaves and the elders are the complaint takers. That's often what it feels like sometimes, but that's not what we're called to do. The job of the deacon is to inspire the sheep to, to do the work. One of my favorite quotes from J.I. Packer, who I think originally stole it from Spurgeon, uh, but he basically said that the, the role of the preacher, the, the, the job of the elder, if you will, is to feed the sheep, not amuse the goats. I would love to put that on a billboard on Highway 23. Well, in the same way, it's the job of of the deacon to equip, to inspire the work of the sheep, not not to become the slave to the goats. That's, That's not the goal. Ultimately, both the elder and deacon are encouraged when church members are simply walking in the Spirit. We love to see that too. We love to see people who love the Lord. Uh, John, the Apostle John said it this way I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You want to encourage a leader in the church? Share with them how much you love Christ. Man, nothing encourages me more than that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, you could tell me that you gave all your money to the poor. Oh, that's, that's great. You tell me how much you love Christ. I want to hear that. I do. And, and sometimes you don't even have to tell me. I can like, Wow, that person is just bubbling over with joy for the Lord. That, that's encouraging. On the other hand, can you think of the other way around? You know, when elders and deacons just constantly hear, complain, no, 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 no. complain, grumble, grumble, blah, blah, blah. You know. Um, Paul said, I think... My God, in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy as I pray for you, because I've seen the Spirit at work in you. On the other hand, you have horrible examples, uh, some in the Old, some in the New Testament. Moses, if you go back in, in, in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and read how often Moses is groaning because the Israelites. I'd I, I mentioned to you before that uh, I, I much prefer Nehemiah over Ezra. They both grumbled. They both groaned over the grumblings and the disobedience of the Israelites. But Ezra pulled out his hair. Nehemiah pulled out their hair. That's the way it should be. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Why? Because the people did not repent of their sin, they did not listen to anything he said, and they all paid for it. They all were taken captive or killed because of their sin. They did not listen. Jesus groaned. When He was on earth, He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stoned those who sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But what? You would not have it. Can you imagine making Jesus groan? Paul said this to the Philippians, You are my brothers whom I love and long for. You are my joy and my crown. You could tell he felt loved by that church. Thessalonians, he said this to them, Who is our hope? Who is our joy, our crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming for you are our glory, you are our joy? What a great relationship. Don't read Galatians. It wasn't so nice. He said, he said to them, I wonder if I did all my labor in vain over you. You haven't listened to anything that I've said, you turn to a false gospel, another gospel altogether. Repent. The Lord will hold us accountable how we've treated each other. So for the love of Christ and for the for your own benefit, appreciate the authority of the church. Number three. We're also told to pray for our leadership. I've already expressed this, but he says it very plainly, verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Notice, he doesn't say pray for us because we always do it right. He says we have a clear conscience. We're trying to do the things the way we think they ought to be done according to Scripture. We have a clear conscience in that regard. We're not trying to be hypocrites. We're not trying to sin against you. We're not trying to harm you. Pray for us. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12, Paul says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relationship with you, with holiness and sincerity that are from God. Again, he's not saying we've done it all right. We're not saying we've always agreed. We've seen everything eye to eye. But he says, but trust me, we've tried to do it in holiness and with sincerity. Pray for us. Even with a clear conscience and a desire to honor the office all of us who lead, we will fail to live up to our own expectations, not just to yours. We will struggle to do our duties faithfully. We need your prayers. On numerous accounts, the Apostle Paul himself, who you, know, you would think he sort of set the standard for all this, he says in re- reference to the leadership of the church, who is adequate for any of these things? Not a single man. Every person that you have ever brought to be ordained by the church up here, no one has been adequate for such things. Which means we have to pray, <laughs> right? Uh, again, I, I shared with you before, Charles Spurgeon uh, had met with an American pastor. I can't remember who the American pastor was, but the American pastor asked him, he said, I long to see you, Mr. Spurgeon, and to ask you a question. In our country, there are many opinions In regards to the secret to your success, your great influence, your powerful preaching, would you be good enough as to explain to me what your point of view is? What is the answer to your success? And after a moment's pause, Spurgeon said, My people pray for me. My people pray. That's it. If you really want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, you want to grow in your understanding of the love of Christ, pray for your leaders. That is how Christ accomplishes these things. That they can lead you, model for you, pray for you. That's how it works. Then fourth, finally, he says, greet the leaders of your church. Uh, verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Does he really have to say greet your leaders? He says, greet all the saints. Aren't the leaders saints? But you'll notice that the same thing happens. To the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, actually makes a point of saying, greet all your elders and all your deacons. He says that up front. Don't just, say, just, don't just greet all the saints. Make sure you greet all you. Why? Because there's a tendency in churches for people to start holding grudges against the leaders that they don't like. It happens. It happens often. I, uh, I had preached on a passage like this one and told people that they ought to greet their leaders and it was a sunday night i remember very vividly i had three people come up to me after the service and say i don't like elder so-and-so and And they're all referring to the same person and i asked them i said well when was the last time you talked to him oh it's been years (laughs) i said maybe you want to start with that maybe you want to actually go talk to the person i said have you purposely been not talking to him Maybe. Well, what do you think is going to happen? You're holding grudges against this guy. It's going to happen. You know, when was the last time you prayed for this guy? I don't remember. That's how quickly. I mean, it, 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 the Scripture says don't let the sun go down on your anger in context of marriage. You can imagine what would happen in the church when you don't even have to see the person that often. And you can sit here and you can sit back there and never have to be anywhere near them. And if you see them coming, you can go out that. There are a lot of doors in this place. A lot of escapes. Listen to what Jesus says. Um, John 13, he says, He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Notice what he's saying there. The officers are considered to be sent by Christ as part of his ascension. They are sent to the church as gifts and graces to the church to lead you. He says, if you don't receive them, you do not receive me. You don't receive me. You don't receive God. You cannot, cannot, Reject, hold grudges, and expect that Christ is going to be okay with that. And honestly, the same thing goes for your family members. I have to say this: if you are holding a grudge against your family members, let it go. Let it go today. Go reconcile with the person today. Believers, we have a gospel of reconciliation, a gospel of grace. Don't 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 be holding grudges. Christ has forgiven you of a multitude of sins. Do not hold your neighbor to a different standard than the one that Christ has held you to. Forgive your brother. Forgive your sister. Forgive your parents. Forgive your children. Whatever it is, forgive them. Forgive your elders. Forgive your deacons. We will sin against you. We will fail you. Reconcile. Move on. Let the gospel of Christ be beautiful to you once again. Finally, on a personal note, the writer of Hebrews asked for prayer that he might be restored to the church that he's writing this letter to all the sooner. According to this passage, um, Timothy, he says, our brother Timothy, more than likely the same Timothy that was with the Apostle Paul, uh, had been in prison and he'd just been released. And the writer of Hebrews is waiting... For to join up with Timothy to come visit the church together. He and, he and Timothy. So he's, he's asking for prayer, personally, for a speedy return so that Timothy and him can both go to the church and minister to them in love. And so um, with that being said, I want to give a personal request uh, in that regard. Um, so um, I am going to be gone the next two Sundays. I'll be in Columbia, South America, teaching at the I think it's called the Reformed Latin America Seminary. And uh, my wife is going. She's going to be leading some women's seminars there. And Joy is going as well, doing some other types of ministry. I have never really appreciated the term traveling mercies much before. But after being stuck in Peru, when the whole world shut down, COVID time, I think I have appreciated that term much more. And so, given the fact that you're in another country that is known for political unrest, for pickpocketing earthquakes and weird diseases, I also ask that you would pray for my safe return. And so, um, after we bring up the deacons for the ordination, uh, just ask for a couple of the elders to pray uh, for us as well. And then hopefully we'll be back in with you to minister with you soon. But with that being said, just know that uh, your leaders do love you, and we're trying Uh, to serve you, and we're very excited for our two new deacons that are going to come along and assist in that work. Pray for them, encourage them in that labor, and uh, may the Lord bless the peace and purity of this church. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help again, that we have now heard your word read and preached. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to meditate upon it. Uh, Help us not to Be like the man who looked at himself in the mirror and immediately walked away and forget what he looked like. Pray, Father, that we would be uh, a people of your word that love you, that love your authority over us, that love the fact that you are the head of this church and love the fact that you have chosen officers in the church to serve in this capacity. Lord, help us to respect them, to love them, to pray for them, uh, and to see the gospel flourish in our midst.